0: Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming this morning. Um, I know it might have been a challenge for you, but you are here, so now you're stuck. Well, sort of. Um, One announcement before we get into our teaching this morning. Uh, This evening at 6 p.m., we're having a Zoom prayer meeting. You know what a Zoom prayer meeting is? That's a very fast prayer meeting. All right, some of you have the app. Yeah, thank you, Ben. You have the app on your phone or computer Zoom app where you can have uh, like a conference call meeting with several people. We've got it set up where we can have 100 people uh, join together online and uh, we'll have a prayer time from 6 to 7 p.m. I think there are Explanations back there somewhere they were supposed to be. They're on the um, yeah okay they are they're on the music stand back there. On how to download the app and to get on it tonight at six, if you want to join us for prayer, okay. And obviously it concerns what we're going through. I mean, what difference a week makes, huh? Um, my daughter lives in Italy. She lives one province over from where the epicenter is in Italy, and as you know, Italy is the hardest-hit country so far, next to China. Uh, They've closed down the country. I mean, literally, they've got the borders all closed, and no one is allowed to travel outside of their own little city. And even then, traveling in the city, you can get stopped and arrested for it because you're only allowed to go to... um, things that are necessary like the doctor or the um, grocery store. Fortunately for my daughter, the grocery store is right across the street. So she's good to go and she has a brand new puppy, a Great Dane. Yeah, of all the puppies she could have got, you know, she bought a horse. Uh, So she's totally occupied and they are stocked up with food and water and everything so they're all good to go. They can wait it out and the the, um, Quarantine is for a month, I believe, so far. It's for a month. And who knows, we may be following suit there, but hey, no worries, right? No worries. We have the God who goes before and goes behind. Okay, let's stand, please, in honor of God's word. I have no PowerPoint for you today, so you're actually going to have to follow along. Um, if you want a copy of the notes, just email me. I'll be glad to send them to you. But our reading this morning is going to be in first John chapter four, starting at verse seven. First John chapter four, starting at first verse seven <coughs> Beloved Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, and that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love Now we love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Let's pray. Father, we have read through your word. And we understand that a big deal to you is how we love one another. When times are easy, it's easy to love. When times get dicey, we tend to introvert. We tend to withdraw and isolate. I pray that not be so, Lord not in our congregation here, but that we would continue to love one another as you have given us commandment to do. I pray that as we get into your word, you would reveal to us how it is we are to respond to one another and to the world. And from what we've just read, we know that's going to be in love. What does that look like, Lord? How does that apply practically? trust that you will show us and guide us through your holy spirit so we give you thanks and we open our minds to you now speak to us in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated Um, how many pandemics have you lived through can you remember the last one Well, the swine flu, maybe. Well, yeah. But none of them seems to have impacted our world like this one, recently anyway, right? Uh, For me, I would say this is my first rodeo in something this severe. But it is not Christianity's first rodeo in dealing with pandemics. Christianity has been handling epidemics for over 2,000 years. Lyman Stone, writing for foreignpolicy.com, said, the modern world has suddenly become reacquainted with the oldest traveling companion of human history, existential dread and the fear of unavoidable, inscrutable death. No vaccine or antibiotic will save us for the time being because this experience has become foreign to modern people We are, by and large, psychologically and culturally under-equipped for the current coronavirus pandemic. Unequipped, not ready to handle it psychologically? Is that true? Have you been at Costco lately? (laughs) Sam's Club, Walmart? How many of you went in to look for hand sanitizer and there is no such thing? Amazon.com, everything sold out, right? Toilet paper, seriously? Toilet paper? Well, I think Mr. Stone has a point. Now, regardless of what the world is doing and what even some Christians are doing, we find our response to the moral and spiritual issues surrounding COVID-19 or coronavirus, or as I heard it called, the kung fu flu. All we have to do is look at our past, Christianity's past, to learn how to deal with this pandemic, Liman Stone, again, the distinctive approach to epidemics Christians have adopted over time is worth dusting off. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at how Christians have dealt with this in the past and get a clue from God's word from how we are to deal with it today. Turn, please, to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start with some of Jesus' teachings about relationships. Okay? Matthew chapter 7. Looking at verse 12, and then we're going to turn to Matthew 22, just so you know. Jesus is speaking. He says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Think about it. In a crisis, in a pandemic, whatever you want men to do to you, do to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Okay? We call that the what rule? The golden rule. Right. Now, this thought is echoed in Matthew 22. Turn there, please. Matthew 22, verse 36. It says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now notice he doesn't stop there because that's not the only commandment you need to hear. But the second one is as equally important as the first. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In the Amplified Version, it renders that unselfishly seek the best or higher good FOR OTHERS, LISTEN CAREFULLY, UNSELFISHLY, SEEK THE BEST OR HIGHER GOOD FOR OTHERS. WHEN WE ARE SUFFERING OR EXPERIENCING PAIN OR ILLNESS, WHAT DO YOU DESIRE? SOME OF YOU DESIRE JUST TO BE LEFT ALONE, DON'T YOU? YEAH. BUT IF YOU'VE EVER BEEN NEAR DEATH, AND I HAVE, WHAT IS IT THAT I DESIRED MOST? I desired a friend who was willing to come close. A person who was willing to risk getting involved in the complexity of my hardship. And praise God, through the body of Christ, those people exist. And were able to come and did come and minister to me. Now think about it. If that is something that we would want, how about the world out there that doesn't know Christ? How much more? Typically, our first response in a crisis is to self-preserve, right? It's natural, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the Christian is to go beyond that. We don't settle for just taking care of ourselves. John 15, please. John 15, verses 12 through 14. background last night of Jesus' life he's talking to the disciples and he says this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you now notice verse 13 greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friend he says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. What was his command? Lay down your life for your friends. Now, to lay down one's life would be considered, according to Matthew 6.1, a charitable deed, okay? Nice thing to do. But the NASB renders Matthew 6.1 charitable deed as practicing righteousness. Remember back in the 70s? Some of you were alive, there, and that's when the earth was still cooling, you guys. <clears throat> you were a righteous dude if you did something cool, right? Oh, that was a righteous dude, totally righteous, right? You guys, some of you are like yeah, I remember back then, yeah. Some of the things you want to forget, but um, that one you want to remember. Well, Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke, he explains the meaning behind the Hebrew word there or the ancient Hebrew understanding of the word righteousness. It carries with it the idea of this. Are you listening? Advantaging others, advantaging others to our disadvantage. In other words, advantaging others, even if it comes at the cost of our disadvantage. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, I want you to love one another. Put plainly, the Christian ethic in a time of plague considers that our own life must always be regarded as less important than that of our neighbor. Our own lives are less important than that of our neighbor's, even though the tendency is to self-preserve. This is the truth. We are a people of faith, and we walk by faith, not by sight. We live our life based upon the truth and not by how we feel, okay? Now, is there risk in that? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nathan Betts, writing for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, says, here is where our soft and milky understanding of Christianity is challenged. The early church in the second and third centuries pretty much gave us a handbook Of what sacrificial love looks like. During the plague periods in the Roman Empire, Christians made a name for themselves. Christians are making a name for themselves today, by the way, not necessarily in a positive light, at least not in our culture. But there are places and there was a time when it really got people's attention. 165, 180, current era AD, however you want to say it, for 15 years, the plague of Galen, which got its name from a physician living in the Roman Empire who described it, was an ancient pandemic brought back to the Roman Empire by troops returning from war in the Near East. Scholars suspect that it was probably smallpox or measles, and, you know, they had no vaccine then for these kind of things. According to the Roman historian Dio Cassius, at its height, this plague caused up to 2,000 deaths a day in Rome. One quarter of those who were affected, giving the disease a mortality rate of about 25%. The total deaths have been estimated to be 5 million people died. The diseases killed as much as one-third of the population in some areas and devastated the Roman army. Historians have suggested that this plague of the second century led to the spread of Christianity. Like maybe everybody just beat feet and got out of there as fast as they could and went someplace else? No. It led to the spread of Christianity because Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual model. What would be typically happening in this time if you had someone in your household, in your Roman household, who was sick with the plague, put them in the street. Let them die out there. Even if they weren't dead yet, put them in the street. Get them out of the house. And Christians would take these people and bring them into their house and minister to them was it risky yes did some of them get sick and die yes but they were compelled by love to do such a thing it says Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual model whereby plagues were not the work of an angry and capricious deity but the product of a broken creation in revolt against a loving God that's the truth more famous epidemic was the plague of Cyprian how many of you remember studying that in high school probably never even heard of it before it's around 250 current era it was named for a bishop who would give colorful accounts in his sermons I don't know what a colorful account is but I'm sure it's something my wife would not appreciate me doing They say it was probably a disease related to Ebola. It lasted for 20 years. At its height, it reportedly killed as many as 5,000 people per day in Rome. Cyprian's sermons told Christians not to grieve for plague victims. Because, or for those who are living in heaven, right? But to redouble their efforts to care for the living redoubled their efforts to care for the living. His fellow bishop, Dionysus, described how Christians, heedless of danger, took charge of the sick, attending to their every need. It wasn't lost on a non-believing culture. Even the pagan emperor Julian would complain, complain of how the Galileans, that was his term for Christians, would care for even non-Christians, sick people, while the church historian, Pontianus, recounts how Christians ensured that good was done to all men, not merely to the household of faith. It was like, what is wrong with you? Why are you taking that person into your house? Why are you caring, caring for them? They're dying. They're spreading disease. This doesn't make any common sense. And they were hated for doing that. But that wasn't lost on everybody. Because to do this at the risk of your own life shows a person of higher character, stronger morals. It opened the door to share their faith. Rodney Stark, sociologist and religious demogra- demographer. Is that the right way to say that, Sherry? Okay, thank you, honey. Claims that death rates in cities within Christian communities may have been cut in half of other cities because they were caring for the poor. A lot of these people survived, even as we know that most people who contract the coronavirus survived. Now while those two epidemics swept through the Roman Empire during those centuries, it was the love of Christians that brought hope. That's our job today, guys. Nathan Betts, writing for RZIM. Alien to paganism was the notion that because God loves humanity, Christians cannot please God unless they love one another. Indeed, as God demonstrates his love through sacrifice, Humans must demonstrate their love through sacrifice on behalf of one another. Moreover, such responsibilities were to be extended beyond the bonds of family and tribe. indeed, to all those in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, quoting First Corinthians 12:2. Now, as you might imagine, back in those days, these were revolutionary, radical ideas. But I must tell you the truth, because, you know, it's easy to paint Christians as the major heroes of all of culture and society forever and ever, amen. But the tru- truth is, not all Christians behaved as Christians. Many threw their relatives into the street. Ministers would sell their prayers for healing. Uh, Some monks would even close their gates to keep people out who had the disease because they didn't want to minister to them, right? And uh, the people were outside the gates begging them to pray for them, to come and intercede for them. And they were throwing their money and their treasures over the wall into the monasteries. And then the monasteries would take them and throw them right back over the wall. But they were the minority. The majority risked their own lives. Just saying. So far from Christianity ever being safe, guys, it is full of risk, okay? John 15:13. we just read that. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. If you lay down your life, what may happen? You might lose your life. But Paul was never afraid of that. What did he tell us? For me to live is Christ right and to die is gain living here is Christ that's cool enough but if I die bonus I get to be with the Lord forever that's the ultimate form of love giving up your life so that others may live and that's precisely the kind of activity Christ embodied now facing challenges like this turn to 2nd Timothy 1 7 guys Second Timothy one seven. We are to face this challenge with courage despite the risk. This is an attitude you adopt. It's an attitude you choose. It's not something you're going to necessarily feel, but courage doesn't demand feeling. It demands standing. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me read to you the Amplified Version's rendering of that verse. And please, just for a moment, uh, pop up and, and be attentive, just for a second, Okay? If you don't hear anything else, and you take a really nice good nap, listen to this. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, or cowardice, or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, and of love, and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. That's what he's given you. But you've got a choice, don't you? You've got a choice whether you adopt it because the battle is all up here. It's a choice that you need to make. I can choose to live out of love or I can choose to live out of fear. Fear tells me that I got to make sure I'm safe and that my family is safe from contracting the virus. Take care of yourself. Self-preservation comes first. That's what fear says. It's rational, right? It's not a bad thing. But it can keep you from reaching out to a person who is hurting and in needing of a helping hand. Because that is your priority. In this way, just looking out for myself becomes detrimental. Fear asks the questions, how do I get out of this? How do I keep myself safe in the midst of this? Love asks, how can I be a light in this situation? How can I help? 1527, when the bubonic plague hit Wittenberg, Germany, Martin Luther refused calls to flee the city and protect himself. He was a pretty important guy, you think, Martin Luther, you know, father of the Reformation. Uh, And he wrote a lot of things that people thought, you know, like, okay, here, you're our Billy Graham, you're our Chuck Smith, you're our Jerry Falwell or whoever. And uh, so we need to get you out of here. You're too important. But he refused. He stayed and he ministered to the sick. Now he survived. But his daughter didn't. It cost her her life. So what do you think, Luther? Was it worth it? Was it worth sticking around that you lost your own daughter? This is what he wrote. We die at our posts. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them to crosses on which we must be prepared to die. Powerful words, isn't it? But he not only talked the talk, he walked the walk. Our medical community, our first responders, they can't abandon their duties um, to protect themselves. I can't abandon my duty before God as a pastor to protect myself, and neither can you as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ not minister to others. You can't abandon your post. Um, Matthew sixteen twenty four. if you have your Bibles, turn there. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Jesus said to his disciples. You guys know of any disciples around here? Anybody? Yeah, look around. And you should see one or two disciples. So, Jesus is talking to y'all. Anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. A cross. That's an emblem of what? Death. What happens on a cross? You get crucified. I mean, perhaps if they had electric chairs back in the day, we would be having electric chairs as symbols on the top of the roof of a lot of our churches. And instead of going into a jewelry store to get one of those little golden crosses to put around your neck, you'd have a golden little electric chair to walk around. And of course, people look at you and say, what, that's weird, you know, what are you, Gothic or something? And you say, no, that's the symbol of my savior. (laughs) It's weird. Cross symbolizes death. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, then you've got to take up your cross. You've got to die. You've got to die to yourself. You've got to die to your fears. And follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, verse 25, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, quoting Paul the apostle. What did he say? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. All right? For me to live as a Christian is a good thing. For me to die, bonus. Better. Well, you say, that's fine, Pastor D, okay. But I, I got online, and I googled something called germ theory. Germ theory. Not germ warfare, but germ theory. So caring for the sick sounds really nice. But isn't it just as likely to infect others as to save lives? Don't we live in a professionalized medical environment? Should common people really assume a burden of care? Shouldn't we leave their care to the professionals? That's a good point. And the answer is yes and no. Not advocating here that we become the medical establishment, okay? We must never endanger others through our negligence or recklessness. We are to obey quarantine orders, sanitize our hands, our home, and take precautions to avoid spreading the sickness. Air fives, right? Air fists, chicken wings, whatever else you do to greet one another. But if necessary, and when necessary, You minister without fear. That's a great chicken wing there, Ben. Good job, buddy. (laughs) If necessary, when necessary, you minister without fear. If my neighbor across the street, possibly afflicted, don't know with the coronavirus, and they're afraid. And for whatever reason, they can't get testing to know whether they have it or not. What am I supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you what I will do. I'll walk over to that house, I'll go inside, I'll put my arms around them, I'll pray for them, I'll care for them. And, and I, you know, it's not pastor being braggadocio here, um, it's just a compulsion. And it's a compulsion that Paul would say, is, I'm compelled by love to do this. Back in the day when AIDS was first raising its ugly head in our nation and in our culture, um, and you didn't know how you really contracted it. You know, there's a lot of theories out there. Uh, we had a young man who was in the last stages of AIDS, so a, man, a young man that we had helped lead to Christ, and he was dying. And we had him over the house. We had dinner with him. We held him in our arms. We prayed for him. We loved on him. Why? Because that's what you do as a Christian. You minister. You minister God's grace. You minister his love. Could I have contracted AIDS? Well, no now. No, I couldn't have. But then, he didn't know. But I wasn't going to operate out of fear. Do you understand? I'm going to operate by faith. Even as we, as one writer said, enthusiastically participate in aggressive sanitation measures and appropriate social distancing. even as we take communion from individual packets, which we will do on the 5th of April, even as we forego the handshaking or hugging and settle for air fists or elbow bumping and even sit at a distance from each other, guys, we still commune and we still minister. We still commune. We still minister. The fact is, the coronavirus leaves most of its victims alive. Is that true? Thank you, Don. Because if you would have said no, I'd been totally embarrassed right now. But some of us here are at high risk group, and that would be me. I am one of those individuals. There's no vaccine. There's no antibiotic. But what there is right now in our culture is an abundance of fear. An abundance of fear. Among our elderly Especially. Leaves them afraid, anxious, isolated, alone, wondering if anyone would even care or notice if they didn't go to church or were a part of the body of Christ anymore. Lyman Stone said again, in an increasingly atomized society, the coronavirus could rapidly mutate into an epidemic of despair, especially for the older people. Is there an answer for despair? Yeah, all y'all are the answer for despair. You know as humans, when when you're deprived of work or school or public gatherings, sporting events, hobbies, um, we don't do so well. Without moral support, we tend to break down. I mean, just ask the citizens of Wuhan, China, or maybe people that live in Italy. Right now, everything is good right, everything is acceptable, even though it's all closed down and inconvenient, this could last a long time. It could. The, uh, was it the Galen play, but 15 years? Can you imagine this going on for 15 (laughs) years? Quarantined? I mean, I think Costco and Sam's Club would have to shut down because they'd never get enough toilet paper. Even non-Christians can appreciate the importance of maintaining a lifeline to community. And that's our role, guys. We're that lifeline. We are that lifeline of mutual care and support for the community. So let's put some shoe leather on this, okay? Remember what I mean when I say shoe leather, y'all? Okay, let's let's make this walk on all fours or twos, depending on what species you are. What do we do? I'm going to give you five things to do, and they don't necessarily need to be done in this order. I had a person in the last service come up to me and said, you know, you said the first thing we need to do is worship and then pray. I've always been doing it wrong. I start praying, and then I begin to worship. Am I been doing this wrong all my life? What did I tell you guys when we're going through the tabernacle? Don't sew the veil back up. You can go anytime at any stage of praying to the tabernacle. Just go, that's the point. But let's do five things. First we worship, okay? We worship. You're taking notes, write that down. Revelation fourteen seven. Why don't you turn there? Revelation fourteen seven. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. That's Revelation 14, verse 7. Revelation fourteen seven. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water worship when we enter into the tabernacle what's the first two things that we we do enter his gates with thanksgiving enter his courts with worship worship remember who he is jehovah jireh the god who provides jehovah rophe the god who heals jehovah shalom the God who is our peace, Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord who is our shepherd, Jehovah-Shammah, the Lord who was there. Remember, remember, it'll settle your heart. <coughs> Hebrews thirteen five. you want to write that verse down because it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you. How often is never? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. about, about as many times as your kid takes out the trash, right? Never. <laughs> I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I, <laughs> sorry, I hit a nerve there. Okay. Isaiah 43:2. Isaiah, turn to this one. Isaiah 43:2, Old Testament. Hit Psalms. Make a right-hand turn to all the major prophets. The prophets that have the big book. Isaiah 43. A lot of you will recognize this as soon as you see it. Okay? Isaiah 43, 2. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Verse 3. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Tattoo that to your hearts, guys. And then seek to bring your ink gun to those you minister to so they can tattoo it to their hearts. So we worship. Then what do we do? Well, let's pray. We pray. Philippians 4, 6, okay? Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7. Go ahead. I'll wait. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Now, I know Natalie has this memorized, but Natalie has the entire Bible almost memorized, so that doesn't count. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Don't worry about... Anything. How many things are anything? Good. How much of that do you worry about? Nothing. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's a precious promise. Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa has this on their website. Being a Christian means not living in fear as well as preparing well and having wisdom. This is a moment for Christians to step up and intercede for our world. We want to pray for our friends, our loved ones, those vulnerable among us, those in authority guiding our response to this pandemic, and, of course, those directly affected by it. So we worship and we pray. And just a reminder, we've got that prayer meeting tonight at 6 p.m. on Zoom. Next thing we do is we serve, Galatians 5.13. The last phrase of that verse says this: "Through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another." Galatians 5:13, quoting the uh, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa website again. "As the Lord leads, consider reaching out to a neighbor, family member or friend who will be negatively affected by the coronavirus. Especially consider the elderly in our community and consider reaching out to pray, encourage, and or even run a needed errand. As these perilous times mount, we pray that the gospel would go forth and many would be saved. The Lord often uses times of hardship to bring many to faith. We have a, a ministry here that's um, been head up by Kim to visit some of our elderly shut-ins. And um, when I'm hearing back from her what she does, how she prays and how she ministers to these people, it's, it's precious and it's awesome. Um, the place that Laverne lives at, that you've been to, is a, an apartment complex for elderly. And there are hundreds of elderly people who live there. I think it would be awesome to go knock on doors. Say, hey, could you use someone to pray with you today? Especially in this time. Especially when fear begins to set in. How many of you have elderly parents? And as they got older, fear tends to set in a lot stronger, doesn't it? Become frail and afraid. And how could they use... No, not your dad. <laughs> they could use our prayers. You guys. We, we are to be willing to sacrifice our even life, right? Even our lives. But the most we may be ever asked to sacrifice is our convenience. All right? And if that's the truth, then... We need to fulfill Galatians 6: to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. All right, we worship, we pray, we serve, we stand firm and we stand fearless. First Corinthians 1558. Go ahead, go there guys. First Corinthians 15:58. I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Version. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, always doing your best and doing more than is needed, being continually aware that your labor, even to the point of exhaustion, in the Lord is not futile nor wasted, it is never without purpose. Okay? Stand firm. Serve. And then Second Timothy one seven, we were there earlier, weren't we? Second Timothy one seven, let me read it to you again. God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear but has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. So we stand firm and we stand fearless as we serve and we pray and worship. And then finally, we fellowship. Hebrews 10.25, Hebrews 10.25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Okay, so what's the plan, Stan? Are we going to continue doing church? Well, as it stands now, we plan to continue our services until we determine it's not wise to do so. After church today, the elders and I will be meeting with medical professionals in our fellowship and other leaders in our congregation to discuss our next steps. This is uncharted territory for us. It may be that next week our services will only be live streamed, but we'll keep you posted. But if we do continue to meet, we highly encourage you to stay home if you're not feeling well. And we invite you to join us for our worship services live streamed on Facebook. But having said that, listen to this carefully. You need to stay connected. You need to let us know if you're going to be here or not. We should be looking around to see who is not among us and we should be reaching out to them, calling them and say, hey, everything okay? Can we come over? Can we minister to you? Which the elders and I will be more than happy to go do. But sometimes people slip through the cracks, don't they? You won't notice somebody hasn't been there for weeks until they, all of a sudden they show up and you didn't realize they were gone. So you need to call us too. You need to call the church office and say, hey, no, you know I'm not feeling well. Just want to let you know, so please be praying for me. It would be our honor to do so. And also our honor to come. But you need to stay connected. So we got five things. Worship, prayer, Service, standing firm and fearless, and fellowshipping. Okay? All right, let's stand, please. And worship team, come on up. And we're going to engage in a a time of worship um, to end our service. And I would ask you to meditate on both what you have heard, what the Lord has spoken to you personally and what we're going to sing. But listen to this, please. 1 John 4, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, That God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Father, we bow our house before you, our hearts before you, um, now, this closing moment of our service together giving you thanks for the fellowship of the saints, thanking you for the love that is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit and that is displayed in practical good works towards one another. I ask that you strengthen us in the inner man, that you might fulfill your good purpose through us and that the world would take notice that we are your followers because of the love that we have and share with one another. And it isn't for us alone, Lord. It's for all those who don't know you. May we be bold and brave to serve them in these times that are uncertain. And we will give you the praise and we'll give you all of the glory and we will rejoice at the good work that you do through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said.